Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. All right. Hey, howdy. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings. You have reached the Brewing Network. Please leave a message. <laughs> Cretans. You forgot to throw Cretans at the end. Greetings. You have reached the Brewing, yeah. Brewing Network. Please leave a message. Cretans. And you would have your whole Greetings, Cretans. Huh? Huh? I didn't think of that. You're much faster than I am. <laughs> you were so close, though, Palmer. Was, I was. It was, was good. Close. Uh, yeah, that last time we had that orgy, that's that's what they said too. I was much faster than you were. <laughs> much, much faster. That's gross. <laughs> gross, gross, but true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll tell you. You know, and ironically, there is a uh, someone else calling in while I was trying to do my greeting. That was part of part of what was throwing me. So, yes, a beep, beep in the background. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm here talking with you guys, right? That's right. I love it. He's <laughs> killed. Jamil's finally dying. It's taken. <laughs> it's finally happening. It's finally happening. Oh, one of the fruit flies or something. I don't know. It was some, uh, something. How did you banana up your tailpipe, maybe? Hope you got it for us. A banana up my tailpipe, yes. Oh, uh, speaking of bananas up the tailpipe. Uh, I had a great time at, at NHC and in Japan and in uh, Albuquerque. Yeah, I was thinking about this on the drive-in. I was thinking about how wonderful it is. People ask me about, oh, you know, what do you enjoy? I enjoy meeting other brewers, home brewers yep, especially. It is just yep. one of my my joys in life to meet people that are passionate about something that have a love of their hobby, have an interest, and are are expending time and money and, uh, you know, really enjoy what they're doing. And it's just so fantastic. It is it's just like the greatest in the world. Yet, yet, every time I go to one of these places, <clears throat> I go out and visit people and, uh, you know, do meet and greets at places, you're like, ah, you know, you're probably tired of... Uh, uh, you know, talking to people, or I, I see people, you know, at our tap room at Heretic. Uh-huh. I'll look at them, they'll look at me, and, you know, our eyes will meet for a moment. And then, you know, it's like, you know, I'm off, and like an hour later, they go, well, I'm about to leave, but uh, I wanted to say, uh, I'm a fan. Thanks. And then they, you know, like, turn to run. And, yeah. and I'm like, well, hey, hey, you've been here like two hours. So maybe when you got here... That was the time to say hi. So you know, maybe, uh, maybe yeah. I could buy you a beer. Maybe we could hang out a little bit. Uh, you know, we could chat for a moment. Because, and I think you know, they don't want to uh, intrude or 
you know, be a bother or anything like that. But people right. mistakenly think that we have lives. That the two of you are either important <laughs> or famous. Yes. yes. <laughs> and they don't want to intrude because of that mistaken belief. That is the crux of it. Yeah. It's like you wouldn't go up to the president of the United States and right. say, you know, hey, hey, dude, uh, you know, have a, let's have a selfie. You know, um, right. but with you guys, you should. Right. You yeah. should. You should come and up. The and other, and another thing, Jimmy, I want to yeah. mention to all you folks out there, when you come up and you say, hey, I just want to say thank you. Tell us your name. OK, <laughs> tell us your name and where you're from. Because otherwise, you were some stranger that passed us briefly. And we don't, you know, like Jamil says, we do this because we like talking (laughs) to other brewers. And so we're we're interested in meeting you. Well, and and here's the other thing that that I realized. So sometimes people come up and say, hey, yeah, I'm such and such. And, you know, I emailed you and we didn't, you know, and I'm like, I may not remember the specific email out of the many tens of thousands that I've answered, but but I still appreciate it. I'm I'm uh, yes. and and actually try to tell me that story because when you do, oftentimes I will remember. There are many cases where I remember where we discussed something. That's what the things I remember. If you just got introduced to me briefly or, you know, said, I'm not going to remember this. Like, oh, hey, I said hi to you in San Diego in, you know, 2000. I'm like, oh, okay. If you're like, hey, I emailed you and, you know, we went back and forth about, you know, Brett and, and beer uh, and, and this and that. And I'd be like, oh, no, that I remember. <laughs> so don't, be, right, don't right. be shy is the point. And I would say this also. You know who else loves to uh, meet home brewers and spend time with them talking about brewing? Justin. No. Yeah! Wow. No, you got that one wrong, Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> he absolutely hates them. Um, he likes meeting your girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> Bring your wives. Right. And your wives. <laughs> and talking about, you know, I don't know, weddings or something. Shoes. Shoes. Uh, but not, not brewing. Uh, our good friend, John Blickman. Indeed. He loves meeting you folks. Don't be shy. Like I said, go up to the man and just say hi. I listen to the show. Thanks for paying for the show. I really appreciate it. You make it free, so I, I don't I don't have to pay a penny. I can enjoy, uh, you know, all this, this, this wonderful, highly intelligent discourse. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about units. Mm. Yeah, talking about, talking about our units, and if yeah. you really want to make your John Blickman meeting experience um, <laughs> worthwhile, yeah. after all that, because you should do that, tell him your dirtiest joke. Oh yeah, he would appreciate that, <laughs> and he will just love it. He, he'll, yeah, you know, you don't don't worry about it. The more foul like I, the I joke, told him, the better. I told him one that was like, you know, what's brown and sticky, <laughs> and. You know, it took him a while, but he finally got it. And, <laughs> yeah. and you said, your, your hand, John, uh, you maybe should wash your hands. No, uh, and at the very least, as you're walking past him at, at whatever event you see him at, you could just scream out, we're strong! Yeah. Like a freaking psychopath. And he would appreciate that, too. He, That's it would, right. It would make him chuckle. The more, the more fierce and psychotic your scream, I think the more he would like it. So, dirty joke or psychotic scream, go for it.
You know, he just real quick, uh, he was a VIP sponsor of our uh, Mm -hmm. 10th anniversary party. I'm wearing the shirt. And he that's what I wanted to bring up. You know, it wasn't part of his sponsorship. He didn't have to do that. He Mm -hmm. took it upon himself. He said, you know, I really want to give people T-shirts at this thing. I want to give them a a VIP memorable experience. So he took it upon himself, made all those, gave them all out for free to our festival goers at BNA 10. And I thought that was real nice. Yeah, it's fantastic. I got it. It says uh, Blickman Engineering on the front. Beer Geek in big letters on the back. And... uh, and the logo, the VIP uh, eh, BNA ten twenty logo on the side. Companies on the shoulder. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was I was at Lowe's, and somebody walking out behind me goes, "Great shirt, man! Nice, <laughs> nice." <laughs> there you go. Uh, That's what you get at the uh, VIP session of the uh, Brewing Network. Yep. You got All right. Today we're doing Q and A Q&A on fruit in beers. Yeah. So it looks like maybe this started out uh, with an email we got from Vinny. And uh, not Vinny Chalurso, but a listener, Vinny. And he writes Please in. Please make uh, people dream. Come on. <laughs> Vinny wrote in, hey, I was having a discussion with a pro brewer the other day about fruit beer. And he said that when adding fruit to your beer, you need to make adjustments to your hop schedule to compensate for the bitterness that some fruit might impart. Uh, honestly, this is the first I've heard of this, and uh, a quick search of the Internet does not really shed any light on the topic. So my question is, do I need to adjust my hop percentages to adjust for fruit bitterness? And is there a chart that might address the IBU contributions that specific fruit might offer to a beer? That's a fascinating question, and, and actually it's it's quite insightful. Uh, whatever brewer you're talking to, I think, uh, has some pretty good you know insight in using fruit because certain fruits – and certain parts of fruits, especially, will have uh, some bitterness to them. So uh, we're all taught to think of fruits in as being sweet. Almost every fruit that we enjoy tends to be sweet because we like the sweetness. That sweetness right. actually masks a, a wealth of other flavors. And sometimes that flavor could be something that is tannic or bitter or... Um, you know, more tart or something like that. And once the sugars are fermented away, you're left with that. Now, is that something you should adjust for in IBUs? Yeah, perhaps. Um, is there a chart for that? I don't think so. Um, no. It comes more from experience, huh? What would you say, John? Yeah, given given what the IBU measurement measures, which is, you know, hop stuff, um, yeah, there's, I don't know that anyone's ever run the same test on fruit, and because the, the hop IBU test, he was measuring um, the oils and the waxes in the hops. Um, it's measuring a kind of a different thing than, say, the the bitterness, the alkalis, and so on that may be in fruits such as, say, orange peel or uh, lemon peel or other you know fruits that you use. So mm-hmm. I'm not aware of any. Uh, table or anything, and I don't know how much uh, that, that measurement would yield on a fruit, but as you say, it is, it is a good uh, thing to keep in mind that some, some fruits um, you know, will contribute bitterness. Um, what fruits have you m- noticed that with? Well, mainly you know, certain parts of certain fruits, um, you know, the pith of uh, you know, certain fruits, uh, can uh-huh. be, you know, uh, especially citrus fruits can be, uh, you sure. know, quite bitter. Um, you know, so you want just the rind, you want just the flesh inside, you want that white layer in between, 
not to be there. Uh, certain fruits, right. like grapefruit. You just get the zest off if you can, right. yeah. Uh, grapefruit tends to be one of those things that has kind of a bitter component to it, um, especially yeah. as the sugars are attenuated away. I wonder if there's not some sort of crossover information here with uh, winemakers, because uh, winemakers tend to, and cider makers tend to use a lot of different fruits. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, maybe some winemakers, you know, a home winemaker forum uh, might have some information on, you know, which fruits tend to be quite bitter once they're fermented out and need to be back sweetened. Um, that might be a potential source for lists of, uh, you know, which fruits are more one way or another. I think generally, yeah. you know, your own perception uh, can be pretty good. Um, you know, even when something's sweet, a lot of times you can taste the bitter if you pay attention. Uh, you know, and, and what I would say is taste anything that you're going to put in your beer. If you're, if you're adding fruits or, you know, uh, you know, rinds or anything that you're adding, you know, maybe, you know, taste a little bit and see what it's like. And then, you know, think to yourself whether you're going to need to make an adjustment for, uh, you know, IBUs or hop character or anything like that. Sounds good. All right. Uh, let's do this. We've got a, a slew more of questions, and you can even uh, you know chat live and, and ask your questions. That The beautiful uh, Bevo is there in the chat room. You can do the uh, chat now button on the uh, Brewing Network uh, site, and there you go. Or you can dial in 888-401-BEER and ask your questions live. Uh, we'll be back in uh, just a moment and ask more questions from Q&A, Brewing Strong. I'm having a stroke, aren't I? I'm <laughs> pretty sure you're stroking out right now. <laughs> it's, all, it's, only a, it's only a matter of time, folks. Get I don't your... know what you're stroking, Jamil, but certainly your speech is slurring. So. <laughs> right. It's so good my speech is slurring. <laughs> all right. We'll be back right after this. Craft beer and kick-ass music. This is the year to attend the 20th Annual Mammoth Festival of Beers and Bluesapalooza in beautiful Mammoth Lakes, California. Enjoy more than 80 breweries like Mammoth Brewing, Anchor, Fireman's, Bear Republic, Anderson Valley, Stone, Green Flash, Firestone Walker, Sierra Nevada, Lagunitas, Deschutes, and many, many more. On stage, you'll hear Trombone Shorty and Orleans Avenue, Johnny Lang, Robert Cray, Robin Ford, Ruthie Foster, Carolyn Wonderland, Tommy Castro and the Pain Killers, the Sly Brothers, and much more. It's the most incredible lineup ever to take a mammoth stage. Don't miss the 20th annual Mammoth Festival of Beers and Blues Palooza, Thursday, July 30th through Sunday, August 2nd. Tickets and more information at mammothbluesbrewsfest.com or call 888-825-5484. Tickets for some events will sell out early. Get yours at mammothbluesbrewsfest.com or call 888-825-5484 today. Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support, like... 
Brew Your Own magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, there are amazing special issues like plans for building a Brutus 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and the Home Brewer's Answer Book. Brew Your Own magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any brewer, whether for yourself or as a gift. When you subscribe or resubscribe from the Brewing Network homepage, you directly support programs like this. Get a great magazine and support the Brewing Network. Subscribe to Brew Your Own right from the BrewingNetwork.com. about White Lab's Pure Pitch Yeast. Pure Pitch is yeast grown right in its final packaging. That means yeast that has never been exposed to the environment. And White Lab's Pure Pitch Yeast for homebrewers is now available to everyone at homebrew retailers nationwide. Easy to use, perfectly sized, and ready to pitch. White Lab's yeast packaged using their FlexCell process ensures the purest yeast on the market. Visit whitelabs.com to learn more about Pure Pitch, Flex Cell technology and how it's created. Then visit a homebrew retailer near you for your own perfectly sized package of pure pitch yeast. And you can say hello to your own little friend. www.whitelabs.com. to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking uh, fruit and beer. And I tell you, one of the shows where they do talk about fruit and beers uh, fairly frequently is uh, the, the Sour Hour. Yeah. They talk about, you know, fruits and sours and things like that. Even on Dr. Homebrew, they talk about fruit and beer. I mean, they've, they've got uh, a, a wide array of beers that come through. And, uh, you know, if you send in a fruit beer to, to Dr. Homebrew, they'll talk about it and analyze it, evaluate it, give you, you know, feedback on it and how to improve it. Well, they show. analyze it every time. They yeah. anal- analyze it? Yeah. Is that what you said? Every oh, time. Yeah, well, that's JP. <laughs> and then uh, Bring With Style. Hey, we cover some fruit beers there, too. So uh, lots of uh, information for your fruit beer uh, knowledge hole. And all of them available in iTunes. If you want to go subscribe and get those episodes uh, delivered straight to you, just hit the subscribe button. There you go. All right. Ready for some more fruit questions, guys? Yes. Sure. All right. Here's one. Um, And I think this is a good place to start here. A bit of a 101 question. So you uh, should read them all very fruity. (laughs) I don't know what that sounds like, Jamil. Oh, that was perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was perfect. All right. So Matt writes in, um, which tastes or smells... A and, banana. <laughs> which tastes and smells better when trying to mix fruit with beer? Would that be flavor extract, frozen fruit, fresh fruit, or the canned fruit? And when then should it be added to the boil? So an assumption there at the end, too, that it also should be added mm. to the boil. So what do you think, guys? Well, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, um, if you want to maintain aroma and get a you know strong aroma from the fruit, then you can't add it to the boil. 
because that'll drive off those aromas. Um, they tend to give you a cooked fruit flavor rather than a fresh fruit flavor. I'm trying to think of a, a brewer I know that adds fruit to the boil, and I can't. Well, um, I think, you know, if you add it at the last moment, uh, if you're worried about, uh, you know, the yeah the sterility of the fruit that you're adding, um, yeah, you could toss it in right, you know, at flame out and let it be in the whirlpool there. I think right. some fruit products can be very viscous. And, you know, you want to, um, some fruit syrups and things like that, you may want to, uh, you know, mix in with the boil just to, you know, get the heat to help thin them out and get them mixed in well. The big problem with adding fruit to beer at high temperatures is, you know, the setting of the pectins, getting a pectin haze. Of course, alcohol can do that, too. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's that's one of the things. And like John says, cooked cooked character, the longer it is at heat, the more cooked character it's going to get. Now, if you're getting a uh, fruit that's been pasteurized and, uh, you know, some of the uh, canned products and things like that have been flash pasteurized, um, you know, that can add a little hint of a, a little bit of a cook to it. Mm-hmm. Um so, on the one hand, I would say that fresh fruit might be better than canned. However, that's not necessarily true. One of the things about the canned fruit is it tends to be more consistent. They tend to, uh, you know, concentrate to a point where everything, you know, where you're getting the same sugars level all the time and a rich, fruity character. They put effort into making sure that that canned fruit is really good. Whereas yeah. if you just go and randomly buy fresh fruit because it's fresh, um, yeah, I don't know about you, but you know, you go and get a watermelon, and one time it's totally pale, it's almost white, and there's no flavor and no juice in it. Another time you get it, it's deep red and fully flavored and juicy and wonderful, and they both were looked the same on the outside. They were both at the same store, you know what. So you don't really know until you cut it open. Well, the canned fruit processors, you know, they tend to get things blended to a point where everything's, you know, at least a little more consistent and you get some good quality out of it. Right. On extracts and flavorings, uh, you know, one of the problems there is um, they're not all made the same. Some of them are made from fruit or, you know, what have you that's extracted down and concentrated. Certain things like oranges and things like that, you can get more of the oil. Sometimes they'll use more oils. There's there's like lemon oil extracts. There's lemon fruit extracts. There's all sorts of things, and they have completely different flavors, uh, completely different aromas. Uh, you know, a lemon oil tends to be much more fragrant and intense, uh, but it isn't something very tasty. You know, as a taste, it's not so good. It's like, you know, furniture polish. Whereas the lemon fruit... Uh, not as aromatic, but a nice flavor. And so right. uh, one of the secrets that I found when I was doing a lot of homebrew fruit beers is I would add fruit at various stages. You know, maybe you add some at the end of the boil, maybe you don't. You add it to the fermenter mainly, um, and <coughs> excuse me, and um, you. And then like a secondary fermentation as well. Right. And at the end, the amount of fruit character may not be enough. 
depends on the fruit. Certain fruits are very light and delicate and do not add, like strawberries, do not add a lot of flavor. Uh, certain fruits are much bolder, like cherries and raspberries. But at the end, once you've got your, your basis of your fruit beer from fresh fruit or from frozen fruit or from canned fruit, and even, you know, when I use fresh fruit, I will freeze it first in order to help break down the fruit a little bit, and then I will use it. So I always go frozen. I don't use fresh, fresh fruit. I just fresh frozen fruit. Um, but once you have done that part, then I like at times tweaking with, if, if, if your beer is missing a bit of that fruit component, you could try a little, you know, a touch of extract uh, to brighten up the fruit character. Sometimes the aroma is lacking. The flavor is great. The aroma is lacking. So you get yourself an extract that has a little more of the aromatic qualities, not the flavor qualities, and add that. Or sometimes the aroma is great on what you did, but lacking in flavor, you can add a, a small touch of uh, a, a flavor extract. Sometimes you don't need to do anything, but the extracts are great for adjusting things and make bringing them all into balance again. Uh, you know, you don't always have to use them. If you're going to do just an extract, um, that tends to be the worst, I think. If you are going to do just an extract, if for some reason you can't do actual fruit, then I would suggest trying multiple types of extracts centered around whatever flavor it is. You know, don't just get one brand of, you know, cherry extract and throw that in. It's going to taste one-dimensional. It might taste like cough syrup or whatever. If you get two or three different brands, they may be different in you know their aromatic qualities and their flavor qualities, and then a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and it can actually seem more like real fruit. Um, the other thing on adjusting for for fruit character is acidity, and certain fruits, um, almost all fruits have a, an acid to them, uh, kind of an acid uh, balance to them. And if it becomes too sweet because of the beer and not fruity, it won't seem fruity. If you add a little bit of acid to the beer, lower the pH a little bit, then the fruits tend to brighten up and seem a little more uh, intense. So, Yep, that's a very good point. Um, did I answer the question, or did I just, uh, in my stroke out no, of the brain, I, I, ramble I on? Think, no, I think you covered it quite well. Well, there you go. I mean, you covered it like a stroke patient, but you covered it well. Right. No. I'm unable to lift my left arm. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, uh, I got a shorter one and a longer one. Let's go shorter one. Okay. Justin from Eugene, Oregon, writes in. Uh, hey guys, I'm hoping you might be able to help me out with a question regarding the use of fruit flavorings. Uh, I have an apricot saison, and I'm uh, that I'm brewing this weekend. And I'm hoping to bottle it two weeks later. Mm -hmm. The apricots here in Oregon are not in season. And the ones from out of state in the grocery stores are not that great mm. uh, and really expensive. Mm. Apricot preserves and apricot nectar have extra additives that I don't really want in my beer. My local homebrew shop has apricot fruit flavoring for the cost of, mm. two, uh, for the cost of two pounds of apricots. Uh, same, same cost. So I'm thinking that this might be the best route. I'm wondering if you have any recommendations of fruit extracts and flavorings and how much to use if you do. Mm. Yeah. Well, it kind of goes back to what you were just saying that, yeah. you know, to get the best, most, you know, round, full fruit expression in the beer, 
then use a couple of different kinds. Mm-hmm. So maybe use some of the extract, use some of the some of the fresh apricots from the grocery store, um, and maybe then a couple of um, early ones from in-state, or maybe right. wait two weeks and do a secondary fermentation with the in-state fruit. I would say your best bet is always, you know, in season, grow your own fruit or go to a really good grower that will leave some on the tree or on the vine for longer so it really develops that flavor. I think that's always your best bet. But in this case, um, he said it's in Oregon? Yeah. All right. There's this little company called Oregon Fruit or Oregon Puree or whatever. They make those cans of of uh, fruit puree, which are actually very good. And you can get them at most homebrew shops. And I would I would use that as a base because, again, they put a lot of effort into making it very uh, rich and consistent and, you know, good quality to brew with. So I would I would go with that. Uh, or, you know, they're, they also, I think this, them or Vintner's Harvest or something like that, they make a wine base. And the wine base, there's there's different kinds. So there's their regular just, you know, you want to make apricot wine. Well, you get this apricot syrup and 10 pounds of sugar, and that's apricot wine. They have their, like, high-end wine base, and it's really just fruit packed in a can. Hmm. And, uh, you know, something like that would be a good option as well if you're looking for uh, fruit for your brewing. I like that you offered a good alternative there, but I, I also really like you guys just mentioning to wait until the, the fruit is in season. Traditional mm-hmm. brewing, people brewed things seasonally not to put in a package because they sold well on a shelf, right. but because that's what you had available to you to make really good beer, right? So, of course, sometimes you're brewing for a wedding or something like that, and you've got to get it done, mm-hmm. which is why I like you did an alternative. But I appreciate that the two of you both sort of first answered, wait till the fruit's ripe. That's when you brew an apricot beer. You know. Well, and yep. you know, or maybe choose a different fruit. Uh, uh, yeah, know, yeah. There's almost something always coming ready at, at certain times. Um, you know, or or you know, go go some other route. But um, yeah, that, that that would be my my take on it. Would be do it when it's in season. That's always the most fun too, and it's cheaper. It has to be much cheaper when it's in season than when yeah. it's out of season. Yeah. So. I think it's a cool way to brew it. It's just back to sort of, you know, yeah. of course we want to be able to do everything all the time. Mm-hmm. But if you want to make the best product, stick to the seasons. There you go. I like all it. right. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we will talk about more ways to use fruit in your beer right after this. Beer tasting games that train your palate, a brewery locator, and the brand new interactive beer style guide. These are just a few of the awesome things you'll find on craftbeer.com. The style guide is a beautiful example of technology in beer. Browse beer style families or turn on the automatic beer style finder and explore beer through color, bitterness, ABV, aroma, and flavor. It's really the coolest way to explore every beer style besides having them all in front of you. Go to craft craftbeer.com and click on beer styles to start the guide plus enjoy the rest of craftbeer.com the brewers banter blogs beer education how to host a beer tasting and the invaluable draft quality manual tons of great content that makes your beer better visit the new craftbeer.com right now and explore the website that brings you all the passion camaraderie and creativity of the craft beer community craftbeer.com celebrating the best of american beer 
A few things happened 30 years ago. ARPANET migrated to TCPIP, and the Internet was born. Revenge of the Jedi was renamed Return of the Jedi and opened in theaters. Mila Kunis and Emily Blunt were born, beginning a rad fantasy in my mind. But all of that pales next to the fact that HopTech opened its doors and began blowing homebrewers right out of their mash tuns. HopTech doesn't fuck around. Real people shipping awesome shit straight to you. Their new website is fast and easy to navigate. Or just call 800-379-4677 and let badass bitch Jade and the gadget guy Roberto blow their warm load of customer service all over you. So visit the site or visit the store in Dublin, California and support those that support you. Get your brewing on at hoptech.com. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanishev, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of Citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality homebrewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and the freshest ingredients, backed by the best customer service in the business. Do you like to mash using efficient fly sparging, but would like an easy way to heat your strike and sparge water? Enter the new Brewer's Edge Electric Mash Water Heater, a plug-in, anywhere, precisely controlled heater for strike and sparge water. Ditch the fumes and second burner and make mashing easy. Go to williamsbrewing.com today and browse their vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 4 p.m. Pacific time weekdays ship the same day. Brewing is easy the Williams way. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking fruit in beer. If you want to get your questions on the shows, I suggest you email brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com. Uh, QA for questions uh, on a QA show, uh, show topics for for other things there, and uh, I feel like I got to get a defibrillator in here. <laughs> the way you're doing these things, <laughs> give him some sugar. I think he needs what? some sugar. What? What? <laughs> is that is that too boring for you? Or no, what? you were just you're getting jumbled again. Oh. You might be stroking out. Right? No, I think you need. Uh, I think shock Ramble therapy, Ramble. not defibrillator. Defibrillator. I think you need uh, the paddles that go on the sides of the head. Have you have you not have you not seen the the you know and then eh, you know, um, 
So put both <laughs> arms in front of you. Yeah, hold both of your hands. Like, There's tests like, for this. Like raise them up slowly and smile. Yes. Like look at his face. Look at me and smile. And make sure both face sides are lifting up. I'm, I can only see one side of your face. Oh no, we're vegetarian. Oh gosh. I feel perfect. <laughs> you know, well, you look right. fantastic. So. Oh, thank you. Jeez. Um, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> we're calling Liz tonight. Worried. She's in Tahoe. Oh, great. Going for a concert. <laughs> See how much she cares. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All since, right. You... Since the insurance policy lapped, I think she cares quite a bit now. <laughs> <laughs> I see. All right, you want to try another one? Sure. All right, here's a multi-part question about fruit beer. Uh, Derek writes in that um, one of his most recent endeavors is an American pale ale with 50% wheat and lots of late Amarillo hops. Mm. Um, And he posted the whole recipe details if you need to know them later. Um, But he decided to do a one-gallon secondary with one and a half pounds of pureed frozen mango chunks. And two de-seeded and de-veined habanero chili peppers. This is my first secondary and my first experience with fruit and beer. So I went back and listened to the Jamil Show Fruit Beer in preparation. Here's some questions. Since I've added a whopping load of simple fruit sugars, uh, restarting fermentation, is there going to be more yeast growth? Uh, go, uh, he, yeah. Not really. I mean, the yeast will probably consume your whopping load um, of fruit sugars uh, fairly easily without really going through a growth cycle. I mean, if you waited a long time between primary and then adding that in and it was a substantial amount of fruit in a low ABV beer, maybe you'd get growth, but generally not. And he, the reason he's asking, because he's heard you talk about this, is that in his secondary, it's going to be at room temperature, which is about 70 degrees in Houston. Mm-hmm. So if there was going to be a growth stage where we've talked about, that's when the yeast can produce some flavors we don't mm. really like. So mm-hmm. that's what he was worried about. Uh, but you're thinking there won't really be much of a growth I phase. I don't think so. No. Okay. No, there should be enough yeast that, you know, that the concentration of sugars versus the concentration of yeast yeah. is going to be pretty low. So as Jamil says, there won't be much growth. Well, and as the, a result. the one thing is, he said secondary. So I'm assuming he yeah. racked this to another vessel. He may have let, you know, if he waited a long time before racking to the, you know, it may be minimal, minimal uh, for, uh, yeast. That's what I'm talking about. Yeast. <laughs> the yeast is the problem. No, um, the, oh, if yeah. he if he uh, if he left behind all of the yeast or most of the yeast. I mean, you know, generally when you're planning on doing a fruit secondary and you want to ferment the fruit sugars then you want to rack i'm okay with racking to a secondary for that but you want to rack while there's still a fair amount of active yeast because one it's going to pick up some of the oxygen two it's going to be active enough to ferment the sugars if you wait until everything's completely done and still and then rack off all the yeast um you may have trouble getting it to ferment out uh, if that's your goal all right Mm -hmm. He goes on to ask, pertaining to the sugars, is there a way to determine the resulting ABV? Could I take the amount of sugars on the nutrition facts label, for example, of the frozen mango and plug in the number, accounting for the fermenta- uh, fermentability of the fructose? Yes. Oh, yeah? You can't just take it right off the label like that? Right. Uh, Seems simple. You know, Seems too and, simple. And, yeah, almost all of it should ferment. Okay. Uh, you yeah. know, if, if, if it's an active ferment. Um, if you were to... You know, add those sugars in to, let's say, you know, 
early in on fermentation or you know right off after the boil you racked your your wort onto fruit and then fermented that whole thing assuming that the fruit was pulverized enough to expose all the fructose um yes you would get all that fructose as abv in the end okay or you know whatever majority would attenuate uh, based on the yeast attenuation limits got it all right then since there will be a raging secondary fermentation, he thinks, with lots of CO2 Consuming being that big produced, load, yes. uh-huh. yeah, with lots of CO2 being produced, uh, and a second croissant, uh, will this affect my head formation by depleting the necessary proteins? You know, um, you know, assuming everything else was normal and and then you had good ferma- fermentation to start, and you used uh, you know substantial amount of grain to begin with. Um, yeah, the only thing that's kind of thinning out the proteins is that, you know, all these other sugars that are producing this other, you know, these gravity point or these uh, alcohol points, um, you know, that kind of thins it out a little bit, but, um, the second croissant and all that, nah, that, that wouldn't be a problem. I, I wouldn't it, think so, John. It's not that vigorous. Yeah. Yeah. What's the premise of this question, that any time you see foam or, or croissant, that there's some protein breakdown? This is clearly a very attentive listener Yeah, who has paid great <laughs> right. attention to detail on everything we have said over the last uh, eight years, nine years. Clearly. And I am very impressed. <laughs> but where does it, see what I'm saying? Is it just because of the foam? Where does it come from, this question? Generally, think? any sort of foam formed from the proteins in the wort um yeah it's uh, head forming proteins only form we call them foam only once from the foam only once proteins i see um studies have seemed to indicate that that is the behavior where uh once a bubble has formed and then that bubble is degraded that the those proteins that help form the bubble um they they're the sites that were used to bond to the next protein and uh mixed in with the uh metal ions and alpha acids and so on the whole structure that kind of breaks down some of the sites are now full and the bubbles don't and that protein doesn't foam well anymore mm-hmm. okay. so yeah but there there should be plenty right. of foam potential left yeah okay. i would i wouldn't let that stop me from uh you know doing what he's saying All right, so then uh, to conclude his process, he says, as far as packaging goes, I bottle condition. Uh, Will the fruit sugars interfere with my priming sugar calculations in any way? Uh, I intend on letting the secondary go for a week, then bottling, as long as fermentation appears to be finished and a stable gravity is reached. Uh, Does this seem like a wise strategy? Um, And then he just wants you to know he also plans on using thicker European 11.2-ounce bottles to account for the possibility of overcarbonation regardless. Right. I think the only danger is really, you know, the the secondary fermentation. Again, if if he's not carrying over enough active yeast and and it it has trouble attenuating all the, the sugars there, there could be, you know, a higher residual sugar that could later... Uh, from bacteria or, or wild yeast, continue to chug, chug, chug away, and that could be a problem. But uh, in general, if you you know if you throw the fruit sugars in, sugars are very simple, very sugars. Fer- very fermentable, and you know if you throw it in early enough to where you know the the yeast are active and you see an active fermentation, 
I would not worry about it too much. I'd, I'd say, yeah, it's probably fine. I'd just go with your, your normal calculation. Use uh, John's uh, nomograph of, uh, uh, you know, carbonation and temperature, uh, and you should be, you should be pretty, pretty much spot on. Assuming he does like he said in the question and mm-hmm. really calculates that he's at terminal gravity. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, oh, absolutely. So don't yeah. stop over, you know, right. just because it's been a week, you don't stop. You, you've, you reach terminal gravity. The thing to do really is, um, you know, take yourself a sample and do a forced ferment with the same yeast and see, uh, you know, how far it'll go. Hmm. And the forced ferment will tell you how many points of gravity are left. And if you're within, you know, a certain percentage, then, yeah, you're, you're good to go. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it. I, I would think it's that's that's pretty much it. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say, John? Uh, Force ferment yeah. would be the way to really make sure. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And that, what is a forced ferment? That's just doing a, a small experiment of, of a bottle. Yeah. So uh, you take a, a portion. You can put it in any container you want. Um, you know, plastic jar or whatever. Uh, and then um, you know, you take some of the yeast or you know another pitch of the same active yeast. Um, and you keep it warm, agitated if you can, you know, put it on a, on a stir plate or on a shaker, keep it up into, you know, the mid eighties, uh, up to, you know, like, let's say 90 degrees and let that thing ferment out rapidly for a couple of days. Eventually it will stop. Then measure the gravity of that. Mm -hmm. And that will tell you, um, what the final gravity is going to possibly will be okay and so usually your normal fermentation isn't pushed like that and it stops a little bit shy of that um and that that should be where you're targeting for your your ferment if your ferment's way off of that like you're 20 points off of that clearly something's wrong and you're not gonna you know you're not reaching there then you need to worry about too much sugar residual sugar okay yeah and that's where you the exploding bottles right got it I do like his backup plan anyway, though. Thicker bottles, just in case we screw it all up. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> you know? No, uh, <laughs> the guy sounds like he listens and pays attention and, yeah. and thinks things through. So uh, very impressed because uh, he lives in Texas. So, you know, you never know. Uh, <laughs> you never can tell. <laughs> you never can tell in Texas. <laughs> all right, you want one more? Or? Well, let's do this. Let's take a uh, short break. And uh, when we come back, we'll wrap up with uh, one more question. I think we got one in the chat as well from the lovely uh, Bevo. So uh, we'll be back right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. 
morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer go to morebeer.com and click into the learning center you'll find podcasts technical facts video tutorials and more including access to the buzz more beer social network of more than 5,000 members and some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of the buzz the forum the learning center and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest more beer catalog more beer bringing you absolutely everything for beer making when I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones know beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone program certified beer server certified cicerone and master cicerone cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer the best beer locations have a certified cicerone on staff relaxed and unpretentious cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer beer styles flavor and tasting the brewing process and ingredients and pairing food with beer learn more about your next beer guide at cicerone.org certified cicerone because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint Your brewing water can be a mystery. If it's good enough to drink, it's good enough to brew with, right? We all know to perfect certain styles of beer, proper water chemistry is vital. But running water tests can be complicated and expensive, but not anymore. Industrial Test Systems is proud to introduce the new Smart Brew Water Testing Kits, incorporating the exact iDip Smart Photometer System. The only photometer on the market that harnesses the power of the smartphone and runs water tests without you doing a pile of calculations. The iDip features two way Bluetooth communication with the brain of the system, which is its own multilingual app. This allows limitless possibilities, including lab accuracy, free upgrades, test customization, over 35 available, mobile sharing, and more. You can keep a detailed history of your results, email your water report to other brewers, or share it on social media. Visit smartbrewkit.com now and learn more about the iDip photometer and all the tests it can do for you. to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're talking fruit and beer. These questions all came from uh, people ans- asking questions uh, to uh, brew strong at thebrewingnetwork.com. Get your questions in now. Yeah. So we had another Justin write in. God damn, all these Justins. I think people just fake that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't answer my question if my name's Justin. It's become a popular name with, among millennials, I think. That's what's happened. <laughs> I was named after a character in a John Wayne film when it wasn't a popular name. Was it like a drunk miner with <laughs> missing teeth and stuff? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Syphilis and everything. Justin, how's, how's, how's your relationship with the mule going? <laughs> Damn, you're fine and cracky. Hey, the new sheriff is a nip. Yeah, (laughs) and I don't want to hear any more cracker, cracker. All right, Mr. Johnson. 
So this Justin writes in. He's got a long story about his beer, but the the sum of the question um, is that he's racked a couple gallons onto different uh, fruits. Two gallons on some frozen raspberries and uh, two gallons on some frozen blueberries. And he's allowed them to sit in a food-grade container for a couple weeks. He says, I didn't use a grommet to seal the airlock. Uh, I guess I was just being lazy. However, it was a, um, a tight seal, uh, nonetheless. The ambient temperature in the room was around 64 to 66 degrees. When I went to bottle it, um, I assumed the fruit must have put out some sort of bacteria because there was a dust, which is the best way I can describe it, he says, over the top of the beer. So I bottled it anyway, and I'm going to try it at the end of the week. But my concern was this dust. I, I'm, I, you know, I read that it could make the beer sour, uh, somewhat lambic-like, uh, which I guess might not be too bad. But what do you guys think? What do you think about this dust? Well, yeah, I think it's most likely some sort of uh, Britannomyces or you know some wild yeast, or you know, it could be some pellicle forming other you know organism. Um, yeah, I think um, could be mold too. Unfortunately, could be mold. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that can come from, you know, exposing things to the air before you, you know, close them up, not, you know, uh, not being very careful of, you know, sanitary, uh, workings, uh, it could be from the fruit, uh, fruit is covered in, uh, uh, you know, wild a lot of bacteria and, and, uh, wild yeast. That's why if, if you wash it, it tends to, uh, get rid of the vast majority of the fruit. That's why we wash fruit. Uh, the bacteria and, uh, and wild yeast on the fruit, and then if you uh, you can also freeze it, and if you freeze it cold enough, um, it can kill uh, a, an even larger percentage of the bacteria, hmm. and uh, it will kill some of the the brett and wild yeast and things like that. So uh, that's why you wash it and freeze it, and that helps. Um, this is a case where I yeah I'd go for it, but. Um, this is a case where I would use the thicker bottles if you're bottling. If, oh, well, yeah. it might be too late because uh, he did bottle it, but I see right. your point. If you were going to go ahead with it. Yes. Yeah, okay. Because that it sounds like that whatever that is, it's just starting to get active, and um, there could be a lot of uh, you know fruit sugars left, and that uh, could end up in you know exploding bottles. And is that also because if it is some sort of bacteria, some sort of lactobacteria, uh, bacteria, Lactobacillus or something like that, they can eat more sugars than, say, the, the clean yeast he had already put in there. Uh, yeah, you know, the bread especially will, will consume, um, you know, a lot a lot uh, other uh, dextrins that, uh, you know, regular uh, ale yeast won't, won't, won't okay. consume. So. Right. And then with the addition of fruit, like the previous, you know, uh, he didn't say anything about having a nice active fermentation or anything like that. So... Well, there may be quite a bit of leftover sugars there. He does say that he washed it off because he ends the question with, uh, you know, next time if I decide to add uh, fresh frozen fruit to a beer, so mm. maybe it was even frozen, <laughs> should I go another route instead of just washing it off? So in this case, maybe the infection even came from some, maybe, not being, maybe right. not being sealed in that airlock, he said. Right, right. Um, because I always assume if I buy a, a bag of frozen fruit, I assume it's already clean. I just let it thaw in the bag, and then I dump it in. Okay. I don't wash it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It all just goes straight in. Got and, uh, you know, if you're if everything else was nice and healthy, um, you know, you should be fine. Okay. All right, Beeve, did we have a couple questions from the chat as well? Yes, we do. We have one from our friend 
who ate all the pies. And Good topic for who ate all the pies. Well, mm, and I will, I will say this, Bevo, you missed out on the origin of Justin's name. Uh, we covered that whole thing while you were gone. Yeah. It was only gone. It must be really boring, like really short <laughs> oh, it was unimportant because I was gone for like all of us well, waited. It seconds. was short and unimportant, but it was fascinating. Yeah, I'm sure. You know what? And I'll go back and listen. I'm not going to lie to oh, you. Oh, you missed out. All right. Anyhow, uh, he has a question about coconut. Mm-hmm. He's uh, making a, what does it say? Coconut He's pie? making a coconut smoked porter today. Mm. And he wants to know uh, if, first of all, should he toast it? Mm-hmm. Second of all, should he add it into the mash or the boil or both? Mm-hmm. Or can he add it into the fermenter? Mm-hmm. Yes, to all of that. All right. <laughs> there that you go. Definitely, definitely toast it. Yes. Uh, you know, around... 300 Fahrenheit um, until it just starts to get kind of golden brown and toast up and you really, some of the aromatics are released. I like adding it to the uh, fermenter mainly. Um, a lot of people worry about the oils and um, the oils be consumed just so quickly by any yeast that's remaining. It's really not a big deal. Um, so I like adding it to the fermenter. Uh, but I could see, you know, adding some to the mash, adding some to the boil. I don't think that's going to hurt at all. I think... If anything, that's just going to develop more coconut flavor, more if that's what you're looking for. Um, I don't think it's going to uh, cause a problem other than, you know, it's going to cost you more because that's going to be a bunch of coconut. Okay. Well, he lives in Australia, so is it Coconuts are falling off the trees yeah. in, in Pi's area. <laughs> I'm sure he's getting hit in the head. Yeah. All right. And my second question is from a listener called Big Rob. Mm-hmm. Trying to create a chocolate covered cherry stout recipe and i'm planning on using the sweet stout recipe from classic styles as Mm -hmm. my base recipe Mm -hmm. when should i add the cherry flavoring so that i don't get a cough syrup type flavor i've tried a few times before and each time i've gotten this harsh type of aftertaste to it she does sound sexy asking the questions doesn't she doesn't she thank you far better than any of us yes and she looks better than any of us. well that's of course i do (laughs) Goes without saying, yeah. I don't have as much facial hair. I've never heard you talk so much. I never let you talk so Farless much on my body show. Hair, yeah, that's for sure. Um, well, don't get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> She's a mom. Um, yeah, you know, cherry is one of those very difficult things to do with flavoring. The flavorings all have a cough syrup kind of taste to them. And I'm, you know, as I get older and have more strokes, I think that, uh, you know, perhaps the, the, the cherry cough syrup just tastes very cherry-like. And so now we've associated, hmm. you know, uh, cherry with, you know, cough syrup. But, you know, it always, always has kind of a medicinal phenolic thing. So here's one of the difficult things when you are making a chocolate cherry stout is that... The grains you choose for your stout should not be highly roasty. You have to kind of back off a little bit because the the darker roasted, highly kiln malts can, you know, be a bit phenolic. Smokes yeah. are phenolics. You know, roasted characters are phenolics, you know. Um, and those phenols, when combined with even the best of cherry character, gives it a little bit more hint towards that you know, cherry medicinal thing. 
you know, medicinal being one of the descriptors of phenolic, smoke being one of the descriptors of phenolic. So be careful in that respect. The other is try and avoid the extracts. A lot of the extracts um, really are missing a lot of the baseline notes of cherry, and I think that that's part of the problem there as well. So I would steer more towards, uh, you know, flavor cherries or, you know, sour cherries or things like that and use real fruit or use the, again, the Oregon puree or Oregon fruit, whatever it is, the cans. They come like, uh, you know, three pounds a can. Use those instead. Um, watch your, your dark kiln grains. Um, and I think that's I think that's the key. I've had really good luck with um, cherry juice concentrate, sour sour cherry, cherry mm-hmm. juice concentrate from mm-hmm. like uh, northern Michigan or Washington. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's real easy to you know to just pour into the fermenter at the end and and it has it has a lot of real nice cherry character to it without the medicinal mm-hmm. of the yeah. extract. Well, there you go. Now where are you sourcing that from, John? Uh, I get that from a couple of vendors in uh, northern Michigan, Traverse City area. Mm-hmm. And I believe there's a similar product from uh, Washington, the state of Washington. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, the uh, sour cherry concentrates, that's that's a, a good way to go as well. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. All right. Good question, Pies. And you had one more? No, that was it. That pies, was pies was the coconut. Big then, Rob was oh, cherries. Big Rob. Oh, yeah. Well, don't forget about Big Rob. I've, I've had a stroke. <laughs> so you're so, going to forget about Big Rob and everybody else. He's having memory there's problems. The answer, there's the answer speech. to your coconut question. I might actually pies. be a little concerned for you yes. in your life. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm still able to answer the questions. <laughs> just in random order. It's Yeah, it's just uh, right. <laughs> So uh, hey, I'll keep yeah. you around as long as you answer them in some oh, form or yeah. another. We're, we're ready to, for the first break. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's another fine show. It might be one of my last. I don't know. Um, I would suggest you you thank the sponsors for for the many years and the fine run of uh, this show because hey, you may not have a whole lot of chances to thank them uh, going forward. You never know. Uh, it, it, it's you know enjoy what's in front of you. Don't don't think about uh, the future or the past. Enjoy today. And enjoy today by thanking Blickman Engineering for sponsoring the show. Enjoy today by going to thebrewingnetwork.com, the slash store, and thank them by picking up some of the fine quality products that they have there. You buy that stuff, you're giving a gift to yourself, and you're giving a gift to this show by putting a little money in the pocket of the Brewing Network to keep paying for all the equipment and the time and all this stuff that goes into it. And... Uh, that's why we're able to do this show, because of the Brewing Network doing this stuff like that. So if you want to support it, please please do by uh, spending, and spending wi- wildly. Uh, until then, Bruce Strong, everybody. Bruce Strong.